What we value, the podcast. You have to build the door and then walk through it yourself. No one is going to invite you into that except for yourself. Hey guys, welcome to the What We Value podcast. My name is Kara, and this podcast is named Building a Building One Yes at a Time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Just to introduce myself, I am the 26-year-old co-founder of a social enterprise called The Xena Brand, and we create fun jewelry with serious impact with all of the proceeds of our products going towards our economic empowerment program in Uganda, where we work with women under the poverty line. And we have been running for six years now, and we work with a group of 25 women year on year to support them um, to earn and learn towards seeing their business dreams, their economic dreams come true. But today, I'm so excited to talk to you about getting started with a change-making vision. I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite, favorite things, I think one of the best things about our generation is our deep passion for justice, for not accepting the world we've inherited and for the creativity that we use to develop solutions to the world's worst problems. But I think one thing that we often struggle with as a team, as a generation, is we have so many big dreams, we can get caught up in the heart and the passion of significant issues or movements we want to get involved with. But it's super difficult to actually get started with making those dreams a reality. And if you're anything like me, it can be quite anxiety inducing, or you can end up feeling just pretty stuck about how a dream that you can see or that you would really love to pursue can feel very far off and not actually tangible or achievable. So let me start with this. About six years ago on a cold, rainy Thursday in January, I was writing an essay in a library in Oxford in my final year of uni when my phone started buzzing on the desk. It was my best friend and at the time, new co-founder Lauren calling me from Uganda. Now, Lauren knew that at 10.30am in the morning, I would be studying and in my quote-unquote do not disturb mode, desperately trying to keep on top of my degree while we were simultaneously founding our women's empowerment organization in Uganda. But I realized something must be pretty important for her to call me during our allotted kind of no contact hours. So I grabbed my phone texting her, I'll call you back, I'm just running out of the library. And I ran down the spiral Harry Potter-esque Oxford staircase into that tourist-ridden courtyard outside. Lauren, my co-founder at the time, was actually hitchhiking around rural eastern Uganda, working so hard to try and find the right location for us to start the women's empowerment program that we were start- we were working on. So as I you know, reconnected on this phone, on this broken and slightly delayed WhatsApp audio call, I started to piece together kind of what Lauren was saying. There wasn't the right property to rent for our work. And we were going to need to build a building. Building a building in Uganda? Are you kidding? From scratch? Our tiny nonprofit? I was so riddled with questions and doubt. Could we afford that? How do you even do that? Are we allowed to do that? Suddenly, I had no idea how what we had planned was ever going to happen. You see, the summer before, just to give you a bit of context, I'd spent six weeks in Uganda researching my dissertation and I was asking the question, what does women's empowerment actually mean? And that summer, Lauren was running the women's empowerment program I was studying and we spent days carrying out interviews with women in that rural community that we were working with and just hearing their stories, listening to them. And we were so moved and so inspired by the women we met and the visions of transformation that they had for their families and their communities. 
So we were running focus groups during the day and then we would overnight transcribe these interviews late into the night. And as we were doing that, this model just started to form in our minds. One that was designed to genuinely give the power of change making to the women themselves instead of into the hands of people not from the community. So that was the idea. That was the founding premise of Xena. Ideally, an organization that mobilized change through the power of short-term employment for women under the poverty line, which would allow them to earn and learn what they needed to start their change-making journeys when they graduated. That was a theory anyway. The practicality of starting your nonprofit in Uganda while you're 21 and trying to get through your finals at Oxford was a lot more complicated. Because beginnings are difficult. It's overwhelming to think about this theory, but then to work out the steps that you need to take to get there. There's this understanding that when Lauren was on the phone to me, we had been planning to rent a building, something that felt a bit more manageable, something that felt a little bit more within our grasp. It was something that we had done before. But Lauren saying down the phone that day, we're going to need to build our own building was a real moment of leveling up for me. And it really unlocked a few things that I really want to share with you today because you can be standing at the bottom of a challenge of, for me, we have to build a building in Uganda and we didn't know how to do that. But it turned out in order to do that, we just had to go in a process step by step. So over the last six years, I've learned a few small things. And just as friends here, I wanted to share with you and hope that some of the things I might have learned on my journey might be able to help you with yours. So my number one thing for um, building a building one yes at a time is that change makers don't get the green light from anyone except themselves. Oh my goodness. I think this was one of the key, key things for me when we were starting out with Xena. I think maybe it is about being a woman, but I don't want to generalize. But I think for a lot of us growing up, positions of responsibility come from other people noticing your leadership potential. They are given to you. You often don't take them yourself. They're often as a result of your good performance with one responsibility, someone will notice it and give you another responsibility. Entrepreneurship, change-making journeys, building a nonprofit, a movement, whatever it is, it doesn't work like that. So often you kind of are waiting, I think was for me, I was waiting for someone to kind of invite me through a door to open the door for me and say like, okay, this is the way. It turns out with change making, you have to build the door and then walk through it yourself. No one is going to invite you into that and except for yourself. So I think the question then becomes, okay, if no one is going to give you kind of permission. You have to just do it yourself. What are you waiting for? Because I think there are good things to wait for. Learning, training, research, finding mentors and better counselors. And then I think there are bad things to wait for too. Waiting for money, team and events. It's tricky because these are some of the key things that you're going to need. But if I've learned anything, I've realized that they don't come unless you're already moving. You have to be already talking to people, already going out there, already trying hard, showing a bit of hustle, knocking on doors. You have to be out there for those things to to be attractive, um, attracted to you. Um, It's kind of one of those situations where really the road gets built as you drive on it. For us, I remember so clearly we... um, you know, to go back to the example that I used at the beginning, building that building, the first step for us was calling an architect. And it sounds so simple, but at the time when I was thinking about how are we going to afford it? 
do we need the right permit? How are we going to, you know, find the right land? It turned out actually the first question we needed to ask was not what, but it was who. Who do I need to speak to to make this happen? Who already has the skills? Who already has the experience to make this a possibility? For us, it was an architect. We were able to pick up the phone and get going and ask the questions and and start just putting one foot in front of another. It sounds so, so simple, but I promise you it's been so transformative for us. The other thing I would just really practically suggest on this is about just communication and telling people. It was really interesting. The moment we started the process of founding Xena, I actually was pretty intimidated about telling my friends. I remember that first year, I didn't want to share anything on my social media. And I waited until literally I was leaving uni. We'd been working on it for a year. We had already hired like 10 people before we had, I had even shared on my social media about what we were doing. Because I was nervous about what people were going to think. I was nervous about people thinking that we were going to be too big for our boots, or if we, you know, were doing something really silly, or, you know, you're always concerned about what other people are going to think about you. But I found no vehicle more powerful for forward movement than communicating your vision to other people. So inviting people in and actually asking and and offering spaces for people to help. It's so interesting. I think so often like leading a movement, leading a nonprofit is actually about creating almost plugs, plug like sockets for other people's plugs to fit into for power. Because the assets, the resources that you need are always around you in the people, but you have to be able to plug them into the mission to kind of meet people's gifts with the needs of the organization or the team with each other. So that's number one. Change makers don't get the green light from anyone except themselves. Number two, know your why. Um, You might know this phrase because Simon Sinek wrote a whole book on this and I'm a huge fan of his work and I think it's really, really helpful when you're embarking out on any big dream or change-making vision to really understand this concept of your why. The truth is a journey like this when you're leading or you're going out into unknown territory or you're embarking on something that feels like a challenge or is overwhelming it is costly. And there are going to be bends in the road and valleys on the path where you don't want to carry on anymore. And you don't feel like you have the stamina or you have the ability. It can get really rough. The things that are going to keep you going in those periods is really knowing what your anchor is. What is your true north? What are going to be the things that give you the stamina to keep going? Your why of what gives fuel in your engine? Um, you need people around you to refocus you, people around you who understand the reason you're doing it and to champion you along the way. It's so interesting how actually one of the things that can just dry you up the most is being isolated. We need community around us. For me, just I remember so clearly when COVID hit that kind of, I think like 14th, 15th of March, 2020. Oh my goodness, within about two days, we lost 50% of our incoming revenue for Q2 and Q3 of that year, just because the markets had shut, department stores had canceled their orders with us, the retail industry was going crazy. So much of the money we had been banking on having that that year for our salaries, for our team, for our overheads was suddenly wiped out. And I remember really struggling with anxiety and fear in that period, not knowing like, are we going to be able to keep this going? Is this the end? How is this even going to work? And I remember so clearly being back in my family home, in my childhood bedroom, and my mum having to come and ask me in the mornings, like, do you remember why you're doing this? And 
you know, them really gathering around me and believing in me and giving me kind of that hope and that future was so helpful. So I would really challenge you, know your why. For me, I'm a Christian. My faith is such a driving factor. But for you, it might be the cause or the people, um, or there might be, you know, an internal driver as well. But really think about that. It helps you to know the reason you're doing what you're doing. So that's number two, know your why. Number three, do things that don't scale. I really love this one. I don't know if you guys know Y Combinator. They're a Silicon Valley accelerator, startup accelerator um, for tech companies. And they release a ton of really creative and amazing content, really helpful guidance. I would totally recommend them um, if you're starting out on an entrepreneurship journey or you know, a nonprofit building journey, whatever it is. It's just really good, helpful content. But Paul Graham, one of their team there, he wrote an article called Do Things That Don't Scale. And it was so helpful for us at the beginning. It talks about this idea that actually the things that you do at the beginning for customer acquisition isn't necessarily things that, you know, a big company would do because they it's not really scalable. And the things that you do at the beginning, almost you have permission to do things that don't scale. It might not be an efficient, you know, scalable use of marketing money, but at the beginning, you need to do things that don't scale. So here's a granular example for you. The founders of Stripe, uh, the payment taking software, they literally went door to door to get customers and users. They were knocking on the doors, telling people about their um, their software and getting people to sign up there and then. Another example, Airbnb. When those guys, Joe Gebbia, the founder there, they realized they had a problem with taking images of the homes that were being rented by the, the hosts. And what they were finding was people couldn't take good pictures. And so users of the app, the guests, didn't really want to you know, rent the properties. So those guys flew from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast with the camera in hand to physically take pictures of the first Airbnb properties on the platform. And I think that just goes to show like these huge, like massive companies, they all had to start with the founders just rolling up their sleeves, getting out there, communicating the vision to people, real life people, not online. You know, it's so it's such an amazing tool to use our online presence. But the truth is, is that people build movements. And so getting out where people are is so, so critical. So an example for us, I remember really clearly at the beginning, you know, we sell products, we have to sell a lot of products to support the number of women that we're working with. And so I remember we were new to the fashion industry, we were straight out of uni, and we had these products that we knew we needed to sell. People had been telling us you need to get into retailers, you need to go wholesale. We'd never done that before. We had no idea. But lots of people have been saying, you know, just based on your price point and the products that you're trying to sell, you really might find a market in California. So I remember we booked some tickets and we hired a car. We flew into LA and we drove down to San Diego. And in San Diego, we made a map on Lauren's phone on her little Google Maps app. And we pinned every single women's boutique with the price point and the kind of demographic that our products were looking for along the California coast all the way up to San Francisco, San Francisco. And we spent two weeks driving literally door to door up the coast of California with our little box of samples. And I remember I wasn't even old enough to drive the car in America there. Lauren, my co-founder, was the only one we could afford to put on our insurance. And we were like sleeping on our friends' couches on the way up the coast. And, um, 
So she would be driving the car and I was sat in the passenger seat and she would pull up to a boutique. I would jump out of my side of the car, run around, go and go in and, you know, ask them, hi, um, I was just wondering, is the buyer here? Is the owner here? We work for a women's empowerment organization in Uganda and we have these products. They're ethical, they're fashion, you know, they're sustainable. They, they're 100% nonprofit, 100% of the proceeds goes towards women. Like, would you be interested in like looking at them? And I remember, you know, we didn't get every boutique saying yes, no, at, not at all. I think pretty much 90% of them said no, but we visited so many that we got our first 10 retailers that trip. And it was a groundbreaking trip for us. We still, pre-COVID, we were receiving a ton of our revenue from those first few boutiques. And, you know, then we had to use a whole new set of skills to get into department stores, but we learned so much from being the actual ones, you know, faffing about parking tickets and getting out and talking to the people and getting rejected, getting the no's. It was so transformational. So get out in front of your people, get out in front of the users, get out in front of the people who are going to drive your movement forwards. Don't be discouraged if things aren't happening online. It's okay. We, um, you know, we're humans, we're sociable beings. We need to get out in front of people. All right. Number four, your biggest resources are money or team. I think this is really important. And what I just wanted to include this for is because I think when we're starting out on these building journeys, so much of what we need is actually financial. You can get very quickly distracted from the reason you're doing this, the why behind it, the change we're wanting to see in the world, and very quickly distracted by the zeros in a bank account that are going to allow us to do it and making sure we're going to be able to meet the reserve cash policy and, you know, payday and make sure that the fund transfers are ready and that kind of thing. And um, for me personally on that journey, I've had to be really intentional about not allowing the, you know, need for facilitative funds to distract us from the quality of the impact that we're doing. And I think one of the key things that has helped me in this is understanding that team is just as big, if not a bigger resource than money. You know, money is kind of finite, but team builds and grows and can multiply. So I would just say like, it comes down to just a key thing about how you treat people in change making, you know, burnout is so rife. And it's because people get pushed under the weight of missions. They get pushed under the weight of this huge cause and we can become quite you know, bad at mastering ourselves and not looking after ourselves and not looking after our team and having this understanding that, you know, this cause is more important than people doing it. And I think it comes down to like the work environment that you're creating. And I would just say, be really, really mindful because so many times we've come up to a real problem on the financials that hasn't been solved by, you know, the money. It's actually been, the solution has been created by the people that we've come across along the way. And, you know, the family that you create on this journey is so powerful. So I would just say, you know, find your people, hold them close, really just, you know, act in gratitude and and really think about the ways that you're honoring the people on your team. It's so important. We um, learned quickly just the importance of you know, team building, team bonding. We, every Thursday is a matter of company culture at Xena. We have mandatory team bonding at the HQ. Every single person from all the security team to the kitchen team, to the co-founders, to the executive directors, to the board members, if they're around, to all of the beneficiaries, the women, they all have to come to our team building sessions where we play silly games and we ask hilarious questions. And it's such a powerful time of just you know, actually connecting as humans first. So I would just say, you know, just don't forget 
humans are as much a asset and a key to this whole thing as just the funding is. Okay. And the fifth thing that I wanted to just say is get used to risks now. And I think this is so important. And I actually am preaching to myself as well, because seriously, it doesn't get easier. At the beginning of the journey, I remember feeling so scared every time we would make a big payment or every time payday would come up, you know, employing people and taking on a new responsibility was absolutely terrifying for me. That thought that, you know, oh my gosh, like this is now a responsibility on us. And this is a huge risk. Like, do we definitely have shoulders wide enough to carry this risk as an organization? Um, But what I would just say is it doesn't get easier the longer you grow, you, you know, the longer you're in it. Actually, your organization, your growth, your team, it gets bigger, it gets heavier. So the best time to take risks is actually at the beginning, which is funny because it's the time you want to take them the least because you're the least used to it. You're the least experienced. You have, you know, you're able, you're in this real place of kind of humble learning at the beginning of your journey. But I would just say, enjoy it and recognize the gift that it is because you have very, very little to lose at the beginning. I love what Phil Knight says in his book, Shoe Dog, the founder of Nike. He, at the end of his book, his afterword, he basically just says to the reader, like, oh my goodness, like, I guess I, you know, I climbed the mountain. I got to the peak. I built this huge brand, one of the best brands in the world, you know, the most powerful companies. And what does he say at the end? He misses the beginning. He misses the journey and he misses it because that was a time of the adventures and the highs are so high and the lows are, yeah, really low. But that process is a gift in itself, like that ability to be learning and failing fast, but then learning and iterating and getting up again. And, you know, it's such a powerful time. So I would just say, you know, don't wait, you know, be prudent, be wise about what you need to learn and who you need on your boat before you kind of get going. But I would just say, if it's feeling uncomfortable, that's how it's meant to feel. This is what I've realized is no one knows what they're doing is the truth. Everyone is just making their best guess and doing the best that they can. And so all it takes is you to just build that door and open it yourself. So I would just really encourage you, go for it. It's okay if you don't feel ready. You need to get used to risks now. Okay. So I want to leave you with a really practical exercise. Lauren and I do this. My co-founder and I do this all the time. We do it with our team. We do it with the women we get to work with. But we talk about this idea of your next best yes. And to bring it back to the analogy of the building, building a building one yes at a time, we realized the first step to building that building, yeah, it was calling the architect. The second, it was calling a contractor and a surveyor and then taking the plans to different funding agencies and to different foundations. And it was yes by yes by yes by us just saying, what is the next thing on our to-do list? Am I going to do it? Yeah, I'll give it a go. Okay. So what I want to ask you guys, get out the notes app in your phone literally right now or get a text like message out to your best friend or your mom or whoever, or you know, if you've got a notepad, get it out. And I want you to think right now about what is the next best yes for you in your change-making vision, in the, you know, the dream of what you're trying to build. Is it your nonprofit, your business, whatever it is, or your volunteering journey, whatever it is, I want you to actually tangibly think, what is the thing I need to do that would push this along? 
Who is the person I need to call? Who, what is the email I need to send? You know, what is the research I need to do? Um, or the telephone number I need to put down on my phone? It can be so, so simple. Just the smallest next best yes. And then I want you to do it. I want you to tell one person who's going to keep you accountable to it. And I want you to do it. And I just want to say, you know, this journey has been for us, you know, we're very much at the beginning of the journey. I'm not at all pretending to, you know, think we're an expert, but I will say it's been so rewarding to find peers who are doing it as well, who are building their ventures and their change-making vehicles and to find people in this community. And I think that's been one of the best things about the What We Value um, platform, but find people who believe in your vision and your mission and also in you. Thank you guys so much for listening. As I said, um, my name's Cara Bennett. You can find me at, on Instagram at Cara Bennett and our brand is at the Xena brand. 100% of the proceeds of all of our products go straight towards the women that we work with. And ultimately, I'm rooting for you on this journey. Keep going. It's so worth it. And um, I think just believing that we can do hard things and amazing things is so powerful. Thank you for listening. If you would like to find out more about volunteering, tune in to our next episode of the What We Value podcast. Are you interested in getting involved and active yourself? Head over to whatwevalue.telecom.com to discover and support exciting volunteer projects across Europe.